you got to stay calm. It doesn't matter how, how nervous you are on the inside. You got to project uh, calm. You got to be visible. You got to be out there. You got to be talking to people. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's the crisis that defines uh, real leadership, I believe. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. What do you do as a leader when suddenly everything just goes wrong? We're talking natural disasters, major tragedy, or even the death of a coworker. Or in some cases, like right now, a possible pandemic, like the coronavirus that has stopped much of the world in its tracks. Hey there, leaders. I'm Beth Alms, and our topic today on the Leadership 480 podcast is a big one, how to lead in a crisis. And my guest today is Bob Rogers. Bob is the former president of DDI, and he's led the company through a number of crises through the years. Bob's also an executive coach, so he's guided lots of the best CEOs out there through their own crisis moments in their organizations. Thanks for joining us today, Bob. Glad to be here. So I'm going to start off with a bit of a heavy hitter. What was the toughest crisis you faced in your career as a leader? Well, um, I was president for 25 years, but the two stand out. Uh, obviously, 9-11 was uh, devastating, not only to the country, but also to our business. Um, and then there was the recession in the end of 2008. In both cases, we lost 33% of our revenue within a couple of months. Those were traumatic for all of us, uh, the executive team and all the people in the company. But those two stand out to me. There are other smaller ones, uh, uh, but but those two are, were huge and uh, took lots of effort to get things back on track. So those are two really different types of crises. You know, one one more really directly to the business, threatening our jobs and the economy, and then and the other just the the scale of human tragedy on top of the business tragedy and and all the business implications of that. So um, let's talk a little bit about. 9-11 first and how you handled difficult conversations with the team. How did you show leadership in that time? Well, well it's been a few years, so <laughs> from what I can remember, uh, uh, and this would apply to any leader in any major crisis, is immediately called uh, executive committee meeting, uh, planned out a uh, a few things we could do right away, for example, um, uh, cut all travel, put a hiring freeze on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we knew it was going to kill our revenue because we had workshops and people weren't going to travel to our cities for workshops or for assessments. So we knew our business was going to go down. And, <clears throat> and as I said, we lost a third of our revenue in a couple months. We canceled 65 workshops in uh, in uh, October of, of uh, 2001 alone, which cost us uh, quite a bit of revenue. So we met as an executive committee and we came up with uh, uh, courses of action uh, like the hiring freeze, like uh, 
executives were going to take a uh, 10% pay cut on their salary. The bonuses were uh, non-discretionary, so that, that the bonuses were going to go away for the year. Um, we put more effort, uh, we increased the R&D on virtual classrooms where people can take our courses without traveling. Um, we then had a uh, all leaders communication meeting. Back then you could do it by phone and we had uh, maybe 100, 110 leaders around the world. So we talked to all the leaders, gave them some uh, talking points and outlines some talking points on how to talk to their people about this and what impact it was going to have on our um, financial state, which wasn't going to be good. So we froze some things. We uh, later on we planned for uh, the possible right sizing of our company because we, we knew we might have had too many people and uh, we can talk about that if you want. Uh, then I went and talked to, so I talked to all the executive team, came up with some actions, talked to all of our leaders, and then I held town talks for all of our employees uh, to communicate what I could <clears throat> in terms of actions <clears throat> that we were going to take and to try to uh, mitigate the fears. Now, obviously, I'm mm -hmm. not going to get rid of all their fears. We were all fearful, but I was trying to uh, stay calm and to uh, dispel rumors because in, in a crisis the rumor mill becomes very active mm -hmm. and I always saw the job of the senior leader is to make you can't kill the rumor mill but the job of senior leaders to make the rumor mill accurate so um, communications was extremely important and the senior executives being visible out in front remaining calm and, and uh, plotting a course of action and helping frontline leaders with their communication to their people. Those were some of the things uh, that I know we did immediately after 9-11. So Bob, on the day of the crisis, so a day like 9-11, that's when emotions are really high. It's unexpected. People are dealing with trauma and, and true uh, shock, and that's the moment when the conversation that you have with those leaders is really critical and it sets the tone for everything moving forward. Can you tell me a little bit about how to handle those conversations and how you handled conversations that you had with individuals? Uh, yes, Beth, absolutely. Uh, the, the key is the emotional state of your employees. And as a leader, what you have to do is connect with that emotional state, and that's listening and responding with empathy. That's mm -hmm. a key emotional intelligence behavior that executives really need to hone in on as a crisis is occurring. Um, <clears throat> because what they want to hear from you is that you understand the, the, the frustration and the fear that they have they don't they don't want it's not as important about you but you can share your thoughts feelings and rationale too in in a leadership vein about <clears throat> what's going to happen to the company what's going to happen to employees but you have to be positive you have to be calm but you, you have to connect with people on their emotional state and the the 
what DEI advocates is listening and responding with empathy, uh, doing some acknowledgments of your own thoughts, feelings, and rationale uh, to build a bond between you and that employee, and to not tell them what to do, but ask them questions about <clears throat> how they can help the company get over this hump or pothole, whatever you want to call it. So uh, depending on what kind of job they have, the questions about how how can you help us? What things are within your control that can help us uh, keep our revenue up, to keep uh, our costs down, to uh, uh, invent things that we can get to market quickly, uh, how to reduce variance in processes, how to reduce costs. All those types of questions are are excellent and you pick and choose them those depending upon what the role of the individual is and and that makes people feel more comfortable it's not just our little group it's the leadership of the company mm -hmm. understands the fears that we have and they're responding to them that's probably the most critical thing you can do for your people after a uh, major crisis mm-hmm yeah, and I think that level of transparency is, is so crucial of just telling people honestly what the situation is. So I'm curious, can you think of, what was the toughest conversation you had? Can you think of a time when you had um, really a, you know, someone who was coming to you and you, you didn't know how to handle their, their level of emotions or it was just really tough on your end? Um, that's, that's a hard one. Um, because of my military experience, I got a lot of questions about uh, what do you think the, the country's going to do? Mm -hmm. um, uh, how can we prevent this? That uh, I wasn't in the intelligence community, so I wasn't couldn't talk to that as much. But most of the time, I didn't have any uh, distraught people. Uh, I don't think we had anybody that, since we were in Pittsburgh, had anybody that had family in New York that were killed in the uh, terrorist attack. Um, so I didn't have uh, any wildly emotional people uh, coming to me with things that I, that I couldn't uh, deal with. I did have some people, uh, I mean, I had a, uh, a uh, high-paying software engineer that came in and said, uh, I'm going to apply to the FBI and I'm going to leave DDI. I think I need to do this for my country. And so he moved from Pittsburgh to Washington. Cost of living is much higher. He took a 50% cut in salary. And... Uh, I tried to keep him, but I, he he was committed to uh, doing what he what he thought he should do for the country. So uh, that was to uh, join the FBI. He eventually got accepted and, and left DDI. Um, but I didn't have any wildly uh, emotional uh, outbursts by people. I think I think because they trusted me and and because they could speak frankly with me without it without it being without them having to get emotional for, for them to think that I was hearing them. Mm -hmm. so, so I didn't have, uh, they were all tough, but they weren't, they weren't 
uh, wildly emotional discussion. Sure. So, you know, we've talked a good bit about some some of the different types of crises you've experienced over the years, and you had mentioned that, you know, it's always tough um, when it's an internal crisis as well. So something like uh, the unexpected death of a coworker or um, something that happens internal at the company. How have you handled those types of experiences? How did you help your team through that process? Yeah, uh, boy, the... Um, we had a couple deaths. Obviously, 1,100 people in 25 years, that's going to happen. Right, right. Um, uh, I had my secretary of 17 years fall over at her desk outside my office and die of a heart attack. Mm. Um, that was, again, uh, very personal and very painful to me. So we... Um, we had an all-hands meeting, town talk. Um, we had, uh, there were a couple ex-pastors in our, in our midst. I had one come in and we all prayed for Susan and her family. We uh, had a portrait made of her, which still hangs in the DDI uh, office building. Uh, uh, and we dedicated that that to her she was she was loved by everybody not just me because she was my administrative assistant she was she ran a lot of events uh, her vip trip uh, which is uh, an award trip we had uh, our big company meeting every year she ran that so she 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 knew just about everybody and tragic tragic as it was we did what we thought um People would want us to do, which is memorialize her with uh, with the painting, uh, ask people to go to the church service, um, which I couldn't speak at because I was uh, probably a, a bigger emotional emotional wreck than than 9/11 because it was so personal. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, you know, in the town talk, I communicated. Uh, no, how terrible it was, but that we we had to move forward, which which Susan would have wanted us to do. She loved the company, um, so you always, no matter what the situation is, you got to get people to have confidence in their leaders and to look towards the future, um, and that's that's what we tried to do um you know we had a woman whose teenage daughter committed suicide uh, similar situation so we rallied around that woman um all went we had the funeral was packed we had something after the funeral that ddi took care of um checked in with her on a periodic basis after that uh, she stayed with us for years, uh, so until she retired. Um, so that that those kinds of things is when leaders show their true character, not in the easy times, but in the hard times. And a, a death, a terrorist attack, a financial uh, recession. That's when leaders got to step up and show their character and show their 
you got to stay calm. Doesn't matter how well, how nervous you are on the inside. You got to project uh, calm. You got to be visible. You got to be out there. You got to be talking to people. Mm-hmm. It's the crisis that defines uh, real leadership, I believe. Uh, Daniel Goldman, author of uh, Working with Emotional Intelligence, says leaders who can't master their own fears can infect an entire group. And I totally believe that. If if we didn't take some of the actions that we took, I think we would have lost um, more of our high flyers that thought, boy, the company's just not just not moving in a good direction right now. Mm-hmm. This scares me about the leadership that we have. So that's when leaders need to step up and be visible and be in, be in charge, but be understanding uh, and and use tons of uh, tons of empathy. Have you ever seen an executive who, you know, maybe handled it the total wrong way, uh, really went to, you know, just really botched his his or her response in a crisis? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I want to see if I have that book here. Uh, total Failure Common Sense, I think the author was Fitzgerald. It's about the uh, uh, decline of Lehman Brothers during the financial crisis in mm-hmm. 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh the leader was, uh, I watched him testify before Congress. He met with the Secretary of the Treasury, thought the U.S. was going to bail out. Lehman Brothers went back and told his senior executives we're in, we're in good shape. Uh, I think Paulson was the Secretary of the Treasury, is going to uh, bail us out. The next day, uh, Paulson put out a uh, communique that said, they were not going to uh, bail out Lehman Brothers, and Lehman Brothers folded. The, the problem with the leader at the time was he was not connected to his people at all. He lived in an ivory tower. He had his own uh, elevator that only he could use. He only talked to a few handful of people. He did not get out and talk to his people at all. And uh, it was a complete disaster for anybody in Lehman Brothers in, I guess it was 2009. Um, that's one. Another one was I was coaching a newspaper executive, and the uh, four things I was coaching on, one of them was listening to respond with empathy. He had a uh, newspaper uh, publisher was having an extremely difficult time with her mother, probably in her, in her last days, and uh, he went right to task behaviors to what she should do. And mm. So I saw it, and we were three of us were in the room together. I went up to her and said, you know, I've been through this. This is a tough time when your parents are in this state. Uh, I know what you're feeling. I know it's tough. You're trying to balance uh, taking care of your parents and being a, a publisher of a major, this is a major city uh, newspaper. So I, I, I can feel the stress you're under, and, and I just want to tell you that this, this will pass too and just hang in there. And then I went back and sat down. And <laughs> the executive uh, did it again, didn't use empathy, so I got back up and did it again mm-hmm. and sat down. And then the, the woman who was the publisher left the room, and, the, and the, guy, the fellow I was coaching turned to me, and he says, you know, those were two really good empathy statements you used there, Bob. <laughs> I said, 
I don't mention his name. I said, yeah, but you know why I did that? Because you did the exact opposite of what I did. You should be doing what I was doing. So he, he knocks himself on the head like, oh, that's why you did that. I said, yeah, you need to do that. So I want you to take her to lunch today. This was in the morning. I said, I want you to call her up. And I want you to take her to lunch, and I want two empathy statements out of you during that lunch. <laughs> and he he just, he was a hard charger, great business mind, turnaround artist, but he didn't really have the ability to uh, use good emotional intelligence skills like, like listening and responding with empathy. Um, and I find that not that uncommon in the, some of the senior executives that I coach. Mm-hmm. That is surprising. It seems like a really basic manager level skill, but you see it all the time at the top of the house. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about too was decision-making in a crisis. So it's one of the most paralyzing things uh, to try to figure out what to do next and is it the right thing? And a lot of times you don't have all the information you'd like to have. How do you keep moving forward and make good decisions and have you ever made a decision in a crisis you regretted well I probably had um, <laughs> <laughs> you know but I try not to think of those uh, uh, decision-making uh, boy the best example of going from right to wrong I can give you is uh, John F Kennedy in the Bay of Pigs um, invasion, which for anybody who studied history, that was an invasion of Cuba that went awry and uh, the United States was supposed to back up the Cuban rebels and, and at the last minute they uh, pulled them out. It didn't work. A lot of uh, Cuban rebels were killed and the U.S. looked extremely bad. And I compare that to the uh, missile crisis of October in, what, 61? And what John Kennedy did, because they taped this, he went around the room and got everybody's input before he would give his suggestions. So in decision-making, all the research says that when you have a major problem if the boss walks in and says, this is a problem, this is what I think we should do, and uh, what do you guys think? Everybody in the room thinks why the idea the boss submitted is wrong. And then it's research-based by mm-hmm. Neil Rackham. Um, so what we did in decision-making, like I said, we called the executive committee meeting. I, I asked tons of questions. Um, what what do you think we should do? How can we how can we make that work and build off suggestions that I, I thought had potential? So decision make. The higher up you go, the the more your questions are the most important thing you do, not you having all the answers. And really good leaders recognize I. Do not need to have all the answers. I need to have good people around me, and I need to use their talents and ask them questions. Um, I saw something the other day on TV, and I said to my wife, "You see that? 
and it was about the virus and the task force that had been set up and the guy in charge of the task force. I said, he's demonstrating great leadership in a crisis because he had his experts all lined up. And when a tough question came, he put one of the experts up to the podium. Uh, he didn't He didn't blow smoke. He didn't try to cover things over. He said, we've got an expert on our committee. I will let them answer that. Or he'd turn and ask a question of his experts. So he, uh, questioning decision-making requires not just making a decision, but getting uh, commitment and engagement and, and passion for that decision. And you can't do that by telling people what to do. You do that by asking people for ideas and building off of their ideas, e even though you might know what to do. That's not how you engage, get passion, get people all in the same direction, heading uh, all with the same amount of passion, energy, heading in the right direction. Questioning becomes far more important the higher up you go in an organization. So my decision making, fortunately, I was trained in that uh, when I first uh, came to DDI. <clears throat> and so I, I just, I had bright people on the operating committee that had different expertise. <clears throat> and so I, I would ask them questions about how does this apply? What can we do in your area? Uh, what ideas do you have about this? And, and then would flip chart uh, the courses of action that we would agree to. Um, I usually tried to get consensus. If it, if it didn't get consensus in a crisis, you're the leader, you got to make a call. Uh, being being decisive, decisive is part of the battle in a crisis. Not a crisis, you can take your time. But in 2001 or 2008, we had to move fast. I, I did try to get ideas. I did try to get a consensus. Um, and I used tons of questions to get there. So one of the things that's often a huge issue in a crisis um, is rumors that start to circulate and they're really hard to stop. How do you prevent the rumor mill from going crazy? Uh, great question, because I think it's one of the most destructive things in a company. And as I said, you can't, you can't get rid of it. Your job as a leader is to make it accurate. So this is why your, your communications in a crisis needs to step up and be almost continuous. Uh, uh, you can think of our current crisis and how much we're, we're hearing mm -hmm. uh, from from leaders of our government. Um, uh, ambiguity causes bad things in organizations. So you, you have to be, as a leader, you have to be out there. You have to be communicating. I don't know how many... <clears throat> leader uh, uh, conferences I had with all of my leaders around the world, but there were, there were numerous ones, both in 2001, 2008, going into 2009, uh, preparing them talk tracks uh, for even the first level leader or team leader. But you gotta, you gotta be out there and address I, I was not afraid to address uh, rumors that I had heard in fact 
Susan, my assistant, was tied into the rumor mill, and she'd come in and say, do you know what they're saying out there? (laughs) I'd say, okay, if it wasn't time for my town talks, which were every other uh, twice a year, I would put out a, uh, used to put out a voicemail, uh, sometimes once a week, sometimes once a month. So I'd address it in my uh, total company voicemail. This this is before some of the high-tech stuff we have today. <laughs> right. you, could, you could do it differently today. But back then, I, I would uh, uh, put a voicemail on about an issue, and then I'd send an email, say, please go listen to my voicemail. It's this many minutes long. Obviously, I kept them short. But if there was a rumor out there which was untrue, I jumped on it right away or had my leaders jump on it right away Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, you don't want either ambiguity, people don't know what's going on, or inaccurate things going on because the rumor mill has spread. And as rumors go, they tend to get worse as they tend to spread. So... You, 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 I have a saying, you can never over-communicate, and that is particularly true in a crisis. Yeah. All right, so one final question for you, Bob. Can you share a moment in a crisis where you saw a leader handle it really well, whether it was your own manager at the time or, or someone higher up in the company that you observed them and you just it really made an impression on you? Um. Well, that's that's tough. I'm trying to think through some of the uh, people I've coached. Um, Well, I'll give you one. Uh, This is, again, I'm older, so I remember when uh, Chrysler was in uh, really bad straits in the 80s under Lee Iacocca. Now, in some ways I'm not a big fan of Lee Iacocca, in other ways I am. Um, And what he did was uh, the only people who remember his commercials, he'd get on TV and say, if you can find a better car, buy it. But here's what we're doing. <clears throat> and he, in, in a time when they were out of money, government was bailed them out. He put in a, uh, he had this excellent communication team, and he was everywhere. And then he trained all of his frontline leaders in, DDI supervisory training program, and and he put messages in the training for leaders on their communication, and the training that we did was a lot about communication, a lot about listening, responding with empathy, a lot about uh, your seek-tell ratio, a lot about connecting with your people, a lot about uh, uh, retaining your high flyers and how you do that. He he took swift, direct action so that Chrysler didn't fold. And if you know the story, he paid back the government in, I think, half the time that wow. uh, they they gave him. So there there was a leader in charge. Now, Iacocca had a big ego. There's parts of what he did I didn't, I didn't care for. But in that crisis, in that time, he was a, a extremely effective uh, leader. Yeah, that's, now, a, that's an amazing story. 
that's an old one, but <laughs> uh, it's it, it's uh, unusual when you're in dire straits to say, I'm going to go train all of our leaders. Uh, but he did it, and it turned Christ. Now, Chrysler eventually um, had his problems long after uh, Iacocca left. Um, but that's that's a different story as to why that happened. But during the crisis, when he was in charge, uh, and I'm thinking this is early 80s, mid-80s, <clears throat> he was superb in a crisis. Uh, there's others, but I think that's uh, one of the more dramatic ones that wor- that actually worked. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Bob. This was great. So as we wrap up, do you have any final words of advice for people who are dealing with the coronavirus or other crises today where they're uh, looking to step up and lead in a time when their people are scared? Well... I I think the four things I'd say is stay calm and take charge. Do something that you can communicate. Communicate, over-communicate, address rumors. Um, focus on the future. Inspire confidence that the future is still good, is still good for this organization. Uh, the more you can focus them on the future, and the more you can use their expertise to help focus on the future, the more people will go back to work with purpose in their mind and and give them as much control as you can. Because stress, we've studied stress. Stress is caused by you feeling you don't have any control on things. So as a leader, what you have to do is maybe empower a little bit more, uh, spread out the degrees of freedom for your leaders to to be able to take action. Um, I, I think that's uh, even even more important in a crisis because you know the stress levels up, ambiguity levels up, and you have to address those two things by uh, your decisions and how you interact with your people. Uh, so the, those would be if. If you take nothing from this podcast, take, be in charge, stay calm, and communicate and focus on the future. Thank you so much, Bob. Those are really great tips to end on. Um, I appreciate you joining us today. And thank you to all of our listeners who took time out of their 480 minutes a day to spend with us. If you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership 480 podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you're already a subscriber, we invite you to subscribe again on all the platforms and devices you use. Please rate us as well to let us know how we're doing. And be sure to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and invite them to subscribe. Thank you all for listening today.